Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Now time slipping to McDonald's. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of gaming, horror, TV, and film have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down episode five of season two of Loki, and we also have a trailer reaction for Marvel's Echo. Plus, we got a review for Gen V and the first episode of Invincible. But with that said, let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. Quickly before we get started with news, um, I want to apologize for our sound quality up front, at least on my end. I'm currently recording in my basement, so it might be a little echoey. Hopefully next week things will be back to normal as I record in the warm confines of my office. I'm also a little sick, so if there's like a sniffle here and there, I apologize. I just missed it. Christian, I've been sick for the entire month of October. That's so. true. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, they, they probably just think that's the norm for this uh-huh. podcast, so... All right, first up, it sounds like what's old is new again, as Marvel's executives are considering bringing back the original Avengers cast. Sources over at Variety this week brought several big rumors about the future of the MCU, one of the biggest being that Marvel execs are potentially thinking of getting the original Avengers team back together for an Avengers film. That would mean the return of Robert Downey Jr. and Scholar Johansson's, you know, characters who actually passed away in Endgame. That would be Iron Man and Black Widow. And of course, obviously, they would have to bring back a younger Steve Rogers as well. But I think the ones that most people are, you know, curious about would be Downey and Johansson because both have been on record not saying that they're not all that interested in continuing with the MCU in general. But never say never when it comes to how much you know money Disney wants to shell out to these guys, as Marvel is definitely looking for a big win right now. So on paper, this sounds pretty desperate, uh, especially with Marvel taking some hits critically and financially recently. But if I sit back and think about it, I mean, honestly, I kind of assumed the original Avengers would eventually make a return. And honestly, like as soon as uh, Avengers Secret Wars, because it, it just feels like that film and just the multiverse of it all really gives you an organic, you know, quote unquote, way of, you know, getting to that place. Um, you know, whether it be, you know, through the use of variants or time travel, it just feels like, you know, that would be kind of like the climax of that where they have to like you know go back to the original team to finally defeat Kang. And I know right now there's that big rumor going around that in Kang Dynasty we would see a brand new Avengers team be defeat uh, at the hands of Kang uh, to the point where you know in Secret Wars we would see a new supergroup form, you know, a new Avengers supergroup form made up of all these different prime, you know, versions of superheroes throughout the multiverse, you know, which means that you could possibly see, you know, Hugh Jackman's Logan and uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man come together to aid in the defeat of Kang, Um, you know, which sounds pretty badass. But like I said, I just always felt like we would see, you know, either the prime versions of you know steve rogers and tony stark and black widow show up in secret wars or you know variant versions of them at least i mean we had that huge tom cruise um rumor going around during uh, multiverse of madness uh but you know it just feels like a backdoor way to like give them one more moment on the big screen um before you know riding off in the sunset so, um, I, like, I didn't foresee them sticking around, and I don't know if this rumor is necessarily saying that that's going to be the case. Um, but it does feel like a pretty easy way to bring those heroes back um, for a big moment. Does that, in a way, make all the new heroes you just introduced feel lesser than? Maybe. But if it's written well, I feel like, you know, you can work around that. Um, oh, there's there's absolutely a way to work around that where, you know, the newer heroes still probably get the final punch in or whatever yes. needed to, like, you know, defeat the big bad. There's, yes. there's always a way to do that because I would hate if they really diminished, you know, this new team when it just started, you know? No, I agree 100%. I think the only concern would be 
that you might be teasing fans or giving them a taste of something that they really, really want. And, you know, they might end up being disappointed when things kind of return back to status quo. Um, you know, the new status quo, if you will. Uh, so I don't know. Um, but it, it would be cool to see, like, you know, the old team kind of hand off the torch to the new team, mm-hmm. um, just story-wise. So um, I don't know. I don't know. So like, you know, like I said, I mean, it feels a little desperate on paper, um, but I could see this being the plan all along, too. Not that I'm making excuses for them. Um, th- th- and that's totally if they're going with my headcanon, which they probably are. So, um, you know, we also heard a rumor that, you know, after Secret Wars that we might be in store for a soft reboot of some sort. Um, which when you're dealing with a multiverse is always a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be a way that they bring back Steve Rogers and Tony Stark. Um, do I want to see that? <sighs> Not really. Um, you know, I, I I feel like we need to give these new heroes time to shine and maybe yeah. just, you know, back them up with like quality storytelling. Um, the comics have been doing it for years. So um, I'm sure Kevin Foggy can figure all this out uh in the long run so i mean he's done a pretty damn good job thus far so um but uh moving on there was also a pretty big rumor revolving around jonathan majors king the conqueror with jonathan majors new york trial coming up regarding alleged domestic violence marvel has been considering their options according to sources at variety majors who plays king has been propped up to be you know the avengers next big bad having already made several appearances in the loki series and ant-man and the wasp quantumania uh, the next avengers film is even named avengers king dynasty so they have a lot riding on this character right now but in the case that things, you know, have to you know, change, if they have to pivot directions, it's rumored that Dr. Doom could replace him, though it's unclear narrative wise at this time how they would incorporate Dr. Doom. You know, is there a way for them to introduce the character before Kang Dynasty, along with the fact that Fantastic Four is slated to come after Kang Dynasty? Would they just just you know, introduce him before Fantastic Four? So, you know, who knows what they would have to really change up to do this, but it does feel like Dr. Doom would be the logical answer to their problems if they wanted to completely change characters. So I feel like, you know, once the news broke about all the legal troubles that Jonathan Majors is in right now, um, like we've kind of talked about this at nauseum, like they have a built in out with the whole like multiverse storyline. Like all you have to do is really recast the guy. Um, Since, you know, it's a multiverse story, you have the option of variance. So... You know, it feels like they would pivot that way before introducing Doom, unless, and I was speculating about this before in previous podcasts, Kang isn't really the big bad of this phase, and it is actually supposed to be Doom. Um, You could introduce him in a multitude of ways. Like, you could have him show up in other films leading up to Kang Dynasty, or you could have him show up in Kang Dynasty and kind of overthrow Kang. I would personally rather have them build up the character a little more before we have that storyline play out. But with the pending introduction of the Fantastic Four and the fact that, you know, this whole phase seems to be based on Jonathan Hickman's version of Secret Wars, Doctor Doom feels like he's been kind of lurking in the background this entire time, at least in my mind, um, because Doom is, you know, the big bad, really, of Hickman's Secret Wars. So, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm just surprised that they haven't at least hinted at Doom at this point, though, if they were going to go that route. Um, but I would love to see it, honestly. I mean, even if we didn't have all the legal issues that Jonathan Matrix is going through right now, like, it, it would just feel almost wrong to me that, you know, Doom wasn't somehow part of this story. I mean, I won't be surprised if, you know, in King Dynasty, you know, one of the Kangs just is just like, you know, oh, he's going to be upset by the end of the film. You know, it feels like we could set up easily to a Doom film. But I don't, I'm wondering, like, you think a lot of the you know, issue is just people, you know, when they announced that they were doing two Avengers back to back, people couldn't imagine, you know, there being enough time to introduce a character so like I Doom. think it's really like the Fantastic Four of it all. I think that's what people are bumping up against. Like, if that Fantastic Four film was coming out before King Dynasty, then I think people would be like me and just assuming that Doctor Doom is going to be, you know, 
part of Secret Wars somehow. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it's taking place in between, you know, those two Avenger films just feels weird. Um, Because I I just assumed that you would introduce the Fantastic Four before Kang Dynasty so they could be part of this, you know, climax of the whole like multiverse saga. Um, And maybe somehow Kang Dynasty sets up the Fantastic Four film. That's always a possibility. Um, and we'll be singing a completely different tune, you know, once the movie comes out and like, oh, okay, this makes sense. And this is how we get to doom. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, because now there's right. There's like one year in between both Avenger films. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, too, when they first announced those movies, there was less than a year in between them. So I think that also kind of threw people off. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens, honestly. And, you know, this is a rumor, but I feel like that we've heard versions of this rumor for a while now that Doom is, you know, arriving sooner than later. Um, it's just whether or not, you know, he's actually the big bad of this phase. You know, that, that that's kind of the question where he doesn't fit like that, you know, Thanos molds where, where they're slowly building him up into this huge mm-hmm. threat. Um, you know, and not that King can't get there. Um, it's just so different than what we got in the first saga that, you know, I think it's just throwing people off. All right. Well, once again, sticking with Marvel, uh, we got an update on the upcoming Blade film. In a report by Variety this week, Disney has been looking to cut down costs for the MCU. And one said project who's seen a large budget cut is apparently Blade, with the film now being suggested to come in at under a hundred million dollars instead of the usual about 200 million costs for an MCU project. This would be the first time any MCU film has been made for under a hundred million as even the very first Iron Man was at a hundred and eighty six million dollars. Blade has been in turmoil for quite a while with setback after setback, several new scripts, a new creative team pretty much has been put up on this. It's even seemed like lead actor Mahershala Ali has been pretty unhappy with scripts. So we'll see what happens with this film whenever it does come out. I mean, it is currently set for a February 14th release um, in 2024. So even though there's been a lot of issues surrounding this production, I don't necessarily see a scaled back budget as a bad thing when it comes to this film, just because it's a vampire story. Mm. Like it doesn't need a $200 million budget. I mean, this film should just be Blade murdering a bunch of vampires. And that's pretty much it. Like I just need some badass action and a whole lot of blood and I'm good. Like, you know, I mean, effects wise, I don't know. Like, I I just don't feel like if you have the right script, it it shouldn't dictate a $200 billion budget. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, like Marvel doesn't even start rolling film on anything underneath 200 million. But (laughs) like, you don't really need that with this movie. So, um, you know, if you have the right scripts, 100 million should be fine. And maybe a style change is something that the MCU needs to like refresh on anyway i mean just the original blade was made for like 45 million dollars which is probably like what 80 million today I, but i have no it, idea how that works inflation <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a while ago so um but like, like that's what tone wise i would want this movie to be like mm-hmm. you know like blade in the middle of a blood rave you know killing bloodsuckers that's that's it i'm good like i don't need more it should be a scaled back production compared to your other like you know big budget Marvel films because once again that's what the story dictates um so I don't know I don't know I don't need a big effect film when it comes to you know Blade so I'm I'm good because like you said like I think it would also you know freshen things up for Marvel um and you're really like telling a different kind of story and tackling Mm -hmm. a genre that you really haven't on the big screen you know you know a straight up horror film yeah just learn from Sony's Morbius uh don't don't overcomplicate the vampires. Just kill them. It's fine. Yes, yes. Like, there's nothing wrong with old school practical effects. I know it yes. takes a little more time, but, you know, and time is money. But you could still do it and have it make sense and have it look damn good. You just have to get the right people behind the scenes who know what they're doing. Well, moving on to some Star Wars news, it looks like we have a rumored title for the upcoming Daisy Ridley-led film. 
Now, this rumor comes from Reddit, so as always, take it with a grain of salt, but Star Wars Leaks page on Reddit had a report that the Daisy Ridley-led Star Wars film may be called Star Wars A New Beginning. As we know, the film is set to take place after the Skywalker saga with Rey struggling to build a new Jedi Order, so clearly that title would be probably in reference to that. No shit, Christian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the title's pretty underwhelming, though. Uh, uh -huh. it, it feels real lazy feels like maybe a working title or if that's not the case then you need to go back to the drawing board because uh -huh. come on guys <laughs> it's a little on the nose yeah i hope the lack of imagination with this title isn't any kind of indicator of what we're in store when it comes to the script um because yeah this isn't it uh, if marvel needs a big win star wars needs an even bigger one <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, up next, we've got an update for season two of House of the Dragon. This week, HBO CEO Casey Bloys announced that House of the Dragon season two would be looking at an early summer release in 2024, with a new trailer being shown behind closed doors at a press event in New York. It is also rumored that HBO is already looking over plans for a potential third season with showrunner Ryan Condal. The first season was a massive success after the bad taste that the final season of Game of Thrones left for many fans, so of course HBO plans to continue and has hopes for its other Game of Thrones spinoffs as well. At that event, it was also mentioned that a Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, the Hedge Knight, would begin shooting next year as well, which is another um, prequel spinoff for Game of Thrones uh, that follows the tale of Sir Duncan the Tall. Anyway, moving on, we've got some horror news. Uh, first up, it looks like the Salem's Lot remake might not be headed to theaters. Originally planned for a theatrical release, it seems the remake of Salem's Lot being directed by Gary Doberman will be heading to HBO Max instead. Um, sources over at Variety claim that Max is in need of new content since none is really being produced at this time during the strike. The film had already been pushed back due to COVID-related issues and was intended to release in spring of this year. However, Warner removed it from their release schedule entirely. A release date was not said for you know streaming at this time. I almost completely forgot about this film. I mean, we haven't even got like a still shot at this point, right? No. So, I don't know. That's not usually a good sign. Um... Like, I hope this doesn't end up being like a prey situation where, you know, it goes straight to streaming and then, you know, us fans are kind of stuck there wondering like what could have been with like a theatrical release because, you know, prey was fantastic and definitely deserved a theatrical mm -hmm. release. Um, I love the original Salem's Lot, uh, so I'm, you know, highly interested in this. Uh, so I, I just hope that it gets its just due um, and we get to see it the right way you know which would be you know on the big screen you know that's yeah, if I'm it's any good <laughs> yeah I, i'm just wondering if it's like just the studio doesn't have any faith in the brand i don't know, know. Like, i mean from what they're saying in the story though is you know it's more of a case of lack of content from for mm -hmm. max but you know maybe don't strip max for parts then right because that's been pretty <laughs> exactly. much what they've been doing the last six months uh -huh. Um, and now they're, you know, back to square one and they need more content for the fucking brand, which is ridiculous, but you know. This is why you don't gamble and assume that you're gonna be filming things uh, when there's a big strike going on. Right, right, exactly. Anyway, uh, moving on, uh, looks like we're gonna be getting a long awaited sequel to It Follows. It's been officially confirmed that Neon Studio will produce a sequel to It Follows, named They Follow, with director David Robert Mitchell returning along with lead star Maka Monroe reprising her role as Jay Height. Principal Photography is said to be starting in early 2024. So I've talked about It Follows plenty in the past. Uh, I think it's a modern day classic and a must see for all horror fans. So I'm just excited to see what Mitchell has in store for us. And lastly, it looks like we have another legendary horror franchise headed to the small screen. Variety confirmed this week that Amazon, who recently acquired um, MGM, is producing a Poltergeist series for Amazon Prime. It said that Daryl Frank and Justin Falve are set to produce this series, but no official showrunners or directors have been attached just yet. It is still in very early production. Right, before we talk some Loki, uh, we just got a trailer for the upcoming Echo series. You and I are the same. So? Who's the monster? 
So holy shit, like this was pretty fucking amazing. Um, this felt like one of the Netflix Marvel series, honestly. Um, I didn't know Disney Plus had it in them. Uh, oh, I, I feel like this is the most blood we've seen in the MCU in general. Yes, and this was just a trailer, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I, man, I don't know. I, I was just pleasantly surprised by this. I mean, and we've been hearing for quite a while that Marvel's willing to do rated R. I mean, we know we have the upcoming Deadpool 3 film, which is definitely a hard R. Um, uh -huh. But it's kind of a case of, you know, I have to see it before I believe it. And this is definitely seeing it because... There is a lot of blood in this. I mean, there's people getting shot point blank in the head in this trailer. I mean, we open the trailer up with Kingpin smashing some guy's face with his fists. And then we get a beautiful close up of his hands dripping blood. Um, this was definitely my kind of trailer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this was definitely not a quote unquote like story trailer in, in a true sense. Um, you know, it was pretty much just one big montage piece with, you know, with Vincent D'Onofrio narrating as Wilson. Um, really talking about the parallels between him and Maya, which is a story that we just kind of like touched the surface on in the Hawkeye series. Um, you know, it looks like we're going to get a little bit of an origin story of, you know, how their relationship started. Um, first of all, their casting director definitely deserves a pat on the back because the little girl that they have playing Maya has to be yes. related to the actress because she looks exactly <laughs> like her or marvel's really honed their de-aging effects because this was just spot on i'm wondering how much of the story we're going to get flashback wise um or if this is going to be more of a present day story because we know the last time we saw maya and kingpin you know maya was shooting him point blank in the face in an alley um, you know, and we do get a shot at the end of the trailer with, you know, Kingpin rocking an eye patch. Uh, but yeah, I mean, from what we saw in Hawkeye, it feels like he should be rocking a body bag instead. But, uh -huh. you know, <laughs> he is the Kingpin and it seems like the MCU version must be super powered somehow or have enhanced strength just from the way he was tossing around um, Hawkeye. Mm -hmm. So, um I mean, it would be completely different than his comic book origin, but I don't know. Or maybe, you know, somehow she missed, even though she was literally, you know, pointing the gun directly at his head. She did miss. <laughs> <laughs> don't let them lie to you. <laughs> now, during the opening of the trailer, we see Maya mourning at a grave. I'm assuming that's her father's who, you know, was betrayed by Kingpin. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely going to be the core of this story. You know, Maya seeking vengeance against Kingpin, who was like a surrogate father to her. So it's going to be cool to see all that play out. Um, Maya's absolutely a villain, though. Like, you know, I mean, I'm sure she's going to have probably some kind of redemption arc uh, at some point. But it, from this trailer, it definitely feels like this is more of a story of, you know, good old vengeance. Uh, which I'm all about. But I will say, like, I was surprised by the lack of action shots with Maya. Um, like, there's the one with her crashing through the wall, um, you know, with, you know, some some thug. But uh, but otherwise, there seems to be a lot of, like, thug number one versus, like, thug number two happening here. And obviously, like, these characters probably have names. We just haven't been introduced to them uh -huh. yet. <laughs> she got a good chair kick in there. No, that I'm was not a saying good that scene. there isn't moments. I was just surprised by how much, like undescriptive characters mark i was just surprised by how many like undescriptive characters you know committing acts of violence against each other that we got in this instead of just like straight up echo you know action you know sequences uh which i'm fine with i mean save that for the series you know mm -hmm. um you know they definitely gave us the tone you know mm -hmm. um that came across the trailer tenfold and like i said before like this is the right tone for this story and that's all I was really concerned about. Uh, we did get a brief flash of Daredevil. Did you catch that? Yes, which is I'm, I'm glad that they kept it like that instead of making it like some big moment at the end of the trailer. Yes, that's like that. It's taking away from Echo. Yes, exactly. Because I mean, I think that's one of my bigger fears also that, you know, Daredevil is going to end up overshadowing Echo mm -hmm. uh, in her own show uh, because my deserves better. I mean, she's kind of even gotten the short end of the stick in the comics. Um, you know, I know she's been like the, a bigger focal point recently with her getting like, uh, Phoenix powers at some point, but 
you know, those first like 10 years, I don't know, like she kind of got lost, lost in the shuffle. So, um, but yeah, I at mean, this point, it feels like everyone just gets a turn with Phoenix powers. It's just like, yeah, it was Echo's yeah I'm turn. pretty sure Logan <laughs> has it now. Yeah, I mean, goddamn, uh, that's so convoluted. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, this really feels like it's going to be the Kingpin and Echo story, though. Uh, you know, and they're t they're already showing you like the parallels and the, the tagline is no bad deed goes unpunished. And, you know, like I said, I mean, Echo is a bad guy. Uh, there's no denying that, uh, you know, she was definitely one of Kingpin's right hand, you know, men. So um, we'll see how much of that they explore. Um, you know, we're s there was also a lot of shots of her and I'm guessing her tribe. So I'm assuming we get a lot of backstory there also. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, like I said, this is pretty much a montage trailer, so we're not going to break it down scene by scene. Um, I will say I was disappointed that, you know, I didn't catch any of the tracksuit mafia. Uh, they were definitely a high point of the Hawkeye <laughs> series. So I was hoping that we at least get like a cameo or something. But I mean, this feels like a very different show. So it is what it is. I did look at that. Uh that unpunished on the screen a little too hard, thinking maybe maybe there's a chance Punisher yeah. shows up. But we know he's rumored for uh, Daredevil: Born Again, you know, or uh -huh. I think it's actually confirmed at this point. So I mean, maybe we get a cameo. That that's, maybe that, that's a strong possibility. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I feel like he could probably fit in quite easily in the storyline, especially if it is about Maya getting vengeance. Um, yeah, definitely be a bad influence. <laughs> yes, you would be. <laughs> well, it depends on who you, you know, but it depends on who you're talking to also. So, uh, but yeah, when does this come out, Christian? Uh, it comes out January 10th. And how many episodes is this? Uh, it's going to be five episodes, which are all airing on that day. Wow. That's right. That's right. Because this is a brand new format for Marvel that mm -hmm. they haven't done before. So this is more of the Netflix format. So it, it really feels like they're experimenting here. So we'll see where that all leads. I mean, maybe we get more releases like this down the line. And now for the nerds breakdown of Loki season two, episode five. Heavy spoilers ahead. You have been warned. The TVA is gone. I think you mean ATV and no, we got in two of them last week. Starting with the big flash from last week's episode, we return to the TVA where Loki stands lone, looking out you know, into the broken loom. Searching across all of the TVA, he finds no one there, and even worse, his time slipping starts happening again, as he time travels within the TVA, seeing himself reading a guidebook, which he eventually does on his own. While standing in the command center, everything begins tearing itself apart, as the monitor watching all of the timelines reads failsafe initiated and miss minutes thanks to TVA for its service. Loki, however, time slips away before the entirety of the TVA is torn apart. So no big surprise here. We kind of assumed that, you know, this episode would, you know, kick off with Loki somehow time slipping again. Um, that just felt like the easy out. Um, not that it's a bad out. Um, it just makes sense story-wise. But I did laugh when, you know, we were kind of right with a lot of the directions for this week's episode. I was just like, oh, wow, it's kind of like both theories that we had going into this one. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely not wrong. Because another theory we had was that we'd see a lot of the cast return to the original timelines. Not that we're patting ourselves on the back because, I mean, hell, you throw a lot of shit against the wall, something's bound uh -huh. to stick. <laughs> <laughs> but those were our two big theories, you know, uh -huh. how they were going to kind of undo what we saw in that final scene of, you know, last episode. Hell, I even joked uh, if the episode would start with Loki just in the TVA. So... <laughs> <laughs> We then arrive at Alcatraz in a 1960s branch timeline where Casey is making a daring escape from the prison. Loki arrives after time slipping and finds Casey on the beach of Alcatraz, which Casey is you know, all confused who Loki even is, thinking that he is the guy that's supposed to be ferrying them away. Loki then time slips multiple times to what seems to be all the locations where everyone is that was in that room with him during the temporal explosion. We see B-15 as a pediatric doctor and Mobius is a jet ski sailor salesman in 2022. Once Loki finally stopped slipping long enough to actually talk to Mobius, it's clear that he doesn't know him either. Here though, Mobius is a single dad named Don just trying to sell a jet ski. And before he can actually sell one to Loki, Loki time slips away. So do you think like he who remains like renamed everyone in the TVA? 
And that's how like, you know, Mobius got his name. I wouldn't be surprised if he just automated it with like Miss Minutes getting to rename everyone or something. But it just feels weird that he would find the need to rename you know, poor old Doc. Uh -huh. So I don't know. I mean, Mobius <laughs> is a better space name. Who knows? Maybe it's something that they picked for themselves when they joined up for his army. Because I'm assuming before they all got their minds wiped, they were all active members of like he who remains his army, right? You would have to assume, um, which is kind of fucked up to think about. I'm sure there was a lot of manipulating going on, you know, from he who remains, you know, giving them reason to buy into his cause. We then catch up with OB trying to sneak his science fiction novels into a local bookstore. It seems he's a struggling writer who's also a scientist by day. Taking his books back to a room very similar to his lab at the TVA, Loki time slips in. While OB tries to sell a book to Loki, Loki does his best to get him to stay on track and explains he needs to time travel back to the TVA, but the TVA doesn't exist anymore. OB suggests the only way back is for Loki to actually learn how to control his time slipping and compares his time slipping to what the Tempads actually do since he's appearing around the people he wants to see and might actually have a way to control it. While there was a shit ton of exposition dropped here um, and a lot of out there concepts to really like wrap your head around, um, I was more focused on OB's lab honestly uh because it just looks so much like the tva to the point where i was like wondering like is this actually like where the tva starts like did like this actually turn into the tva somehow or is it more of a case of ob being like the architect of you know the tva like he's the one who just designed it yeah i was wondering the same thing i'm i'm assuming it's just you know, he wanted a similar design, so that's what he did in once he became part of the TVA. But it'd be crazy if this was the timeline that actually turned into the TVA originally. Yeah, and like the events that we're actually like witnessing in this episode is what actually like spawns the TVA. Once again, it's a whole lot to wrap your head around, though. <laughs> but I do feel like they've done a good enough job explaining it all where I'm not like popping a blood vessel like thinking about it. OB believes that if Loki focuses in on why he wants to time slip, that he'll be able to control it. Loki claims he wants to, you know, time slip to save the TVA and save the timelines. But as he tries to focus in on that, nothing seems to happen. OB then suggests if they had a way to scan all of Loki's friends and read their temporal aura through a tempad, they may be able to get the coordinates back to before the TVA's destruction. However, OB doesn't know how to make a tempad. That's when Loki gives OB a copy of the TVA guidebook before time slipping away. At Mobius' house, we see him struggling to rein in on his two sons. Loki awkwardly approaches, not knowing how to broach the topic of, you know, the TVA to him. While Mobius, who informs us that his wife passed away, tries to sell Loki one of his jet skis. Once Loki finally starts to explain the TVA situation to Mobius, he immediately starts to get, you know, concerned and tries to get away from Loki. As Loki's story seems to get wilder and wilder, OB shows up through a time door having created a tempad over the last 19 months in his timeline, which actually caused him to lose his family in a divorce. Such a throwaway line too. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's really depressing, OB. Um, so now we know why Mobius wants to hang out on the TVA all day long, uh, because his kids seem like they're absolutely little monsters. Um, what, do you think he looked back at his actual timeline? Like, He's like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. The one kid was about to burn down the house for crying out loud. Uh -huh. He's like playing with matches in the backyard. <laughs> I don't know, I just had a feeling he was like also playing on a burial ground for some animals that he's tortured in the past. He just looked like one of those kids, right? Oh, now I'm going to make it my head cannon that he killed the mom. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Loki then takes Mobius through a time door to see Loki approaching him earlier, explaining that he needs him to help save all of existence, which Mobius struggles with the idea, leaving his sons behind at this time. Loki promises that he can bring Mobius back to his family at any time, and that if he doesn't help, there won't be a timeline for his sons to even exist in. Can he really bring Mobius back to any point in time to be with his kids? Like, would it have to be that exact point in time? Right? I know I'm Because yeah, they restart every... I don't know. Because at one point, I mean, he's it... watching himself, you know, mm -hmm. talking to Loki. Again. Because that's happening <clears throat> in this very scene. Because then there'd be two Mobiuses. I know I said I, I wasn't going to go down this rabbit hole, but... 
the way of explaining is like okay once this mobius leaves through the time door that he comes back through another time door and that exact place in time but i mean can you really do that for everyone in the TVA? Are you going to do this constantly? Well, that's like, what I'm saying. Like, it would have to be at that exact moment. The exact moment that uh -huh. he leaves, then they would have to come back. So there isn't two Mobiuses. So it's not at any point in time. It, it would have to be that exact moment in time. I guess that's supposed to be assumed, though. I don't know. Whatever. We then get a quick montage of Loki gathering Casey and B-15 to OB's abandoned lab. B-15 asks if this is, you know, everyone as Loki stares off knowing that he must go get Sylvie. Another nitpick. I hate to do this because it is a six episode series and, you know, it is what it is. But it does feel like everyone's a little too accepting of this like earth shattering news um, and a little too willing to like follow along with Loki. And maybe like part of that's due to them like subconsciously knowing you know, that he's telling the truth. I mean, at one point, Mobius does allude to the fact that what Loki is saying sounds somehow familiar to him. So maybe it is a case of them subconsciously knowing, you know, Loki is telling the truth. But it, it, it just feels way too easy, you know, to get these people to, you know, follow this insane Englishman, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> <laughs> through this, you know, time portal. I mean, you're right. If they had more time, if it was a longer series, I'm sure they would have done like a whole episode on him just getting the gang back together. But well, and that's another thing I wanted to get into. Like, I love the fact that they're showing us these different timelines. I just wish we had like a full episode of us, like, you know, spending time, you know, with, you know, each one of these characters in their own reality. Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like, you know, Yes, it's been what we've been harping on, you know, through the series is the fact that, you know, for a series about the multiverse, there is a huge lack of multiverse in it. Um, so I was thrilled that we, you know, got an episode like this where we do get to see all these different characters in their own realities, in their own, you know, universes. But at the same time, we spend such a brief moment with them there um, where I feel like this whole series would carry so much weight with, you know, the threat of the multiverse collapsing if we actually got to spend some actual time with them in their mm -hmm. realities. Um, but like you said, it's a six episode series. You know, it's the MCU, it's comics. It is what it is. I mean, the story is still entertaining. I just, I can't help but, you know, wanting more. We then cut to Sylvie getting off her shift at McDonald's, bringing a to-go bag with her that seems to disappear after she places it on top of her truck. Loki arrives, expecting Sylvie to have forgotten who he was, but Sylvie remembers everything that went down, much to Loki's surprise. And after seeing Loki struggle to stay in her timeline and almost time slip away, she suggests that they go get a drink. I'm curious on why Sylvie didn't return to her uh, normal timeline. I mean, I guess she could have just used the time pad to, you know, jump to, you know, the reality that she wanted to, mm -hmm. um, especially since she is the souped up, like he who remains version of the time pad. But I don't know, like I was kind of half expecting to see her back in her reality. I think that would have been cool. Yeah, it would have been a nice scene to see her like awake there and then leave if she wanted to. But yeah. I guess this all tracks because we know this is the life that she wants to lead. So and it also tracks that, you know, of course, she would remember everything since, you know, she is a god. So <laughs> she shouldn't be affected the same way that, you know, the other mere mortals would be. Any time in the world and she wants to work for minimum wage at McDonald's. I mean, Some people just whatever. crave the simple life, I guess. I guess. And we're not judging people who work at McDonald's, so. No, 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 no. You, if anything, you I'm judging bastard. McDonald's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, pay your employees more. At the bar, Loki talks about how the rest don't remember him, and Sylvie looks at this as a good thing as she believes everyone is now back in their rightful place. Loki is frustrated by this as he believes they need to stop, you know, he who remains, and says that her not wanting to help is selfish. But Sylvie sees through that and asks what's the real reason why he wants to actually do this and continues to belittle him until he finally admits to himself that the real reason he wants to rip these people from their lives on the timeline is so that he can have his friends back. Sylvie explains that his friends are back where they belong and it's time to write their own story as Loki feels displaced in time. So this is probably one of the bigger moments of the series and probably, once again, an example of Loki displaying real growth 
But I will say, I, mm -hmm. I kind of felt like this was a little unearned, just because is he really that good friends with these people? You know, you could argue Mobius, but and you know, we know he has feelings for Sylvie, which is pretty much himself. But everyone else, I mean, come on, they're work friends at best, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> at best. I, I guess two things could be true. Like, I, I think I would have been okay if, if it was like, well, you want to be with your friends, but also you finally have a purpose. And part of this is about redemption for his sins, you know, in the past. Um, but I don't know, just him not wanting to be alone. I mean, I guess that could be the core, the real root core of it all. But I don't know. I, I, I want him to have that, like, glorious purpose moment, too, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like, he should have harped more on, like, because he does say, like, you know, what is my purpose without them? But it, it is does definitely more angled towards his loneliness than it is, you know, like, his you know, yeah. superiority. It made it feel like the TVA <laughs> is just a big clubhouse to him, right? Uh -huh. With a great pirate. But either way, I still like the moment between the two of them. No. Like, you know, her actually breaking it down for him and stuff like that. So No, and like I said, I mean, it is the root core of it all. But at the same time, mm. like, can we work in the, you know, saving all of reality <laughs> angle also? Or hell, him just being like, I want everyone to owe me one. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great if he was, like, really playing uh -huh. the long game here. <laughs> He's just using this to hold over Thor's head. <laughs> Remember that time I saved all of reality? <laughs> I mean, that's some great one-upsmanship right there. I mean, come on. We return to the gang waiting on Loki, where Casey gives us, you know, a little bit more of an idea of why he was placed in Alcatraz, as he basically asks OB if he can, you know, use a temp pad to rob banks. Yeah, Casey's just a straight-up scumbag. Like, he's just a criminal. <laughs> At least it was a robber, because I'm like Alcatraz. I'm like, did he kill people? Like, what is? What are we? Just feels so here? out of character from like uh -huh. who he is in the TVA. But it is what it is. I mean, these are the people that Loki desperately wants to be friends with. Sounds about right. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sylvie, after leaving the bar, stops by her favorite record shop, whose owner can immediately tell something is bothering Sylvie and suggests a record for her to listen to, which Sylvie goes to a couch and plays the record while, while listening to it through some headphones. Now with her back to the store owner, she is unaware as the owner begins witnessing things tearing apart, only running to Sylvie when it's far too late. Sylvie then turns and watches as the timeline disappears before escaping using he who remains as Tempad. This was straight up terrifying. I'm really enjoying like the time noodle effect that they're using. Oh, yeah. Um, I hope they continue <laughs> to use it like throughout the multiverse saga, because I think it's really effective. Like maybe when we see incursions happening, yes. that's also happening to people. Yeah. Yes. Loki returns to the group and basically tells them never mind to their plans as he comes to the terms, you know, with his own selfish need to get them back to who they were. Mobius is angered by this as he thought he was going to be doing something to save his sons. Loki explains that they're all going to be fine without the TVA and that they can go home. But Sylvie arrives just in time to stop Loki from sending them home and tells them, you know, that time is unraveling. Now, with everyone there, they can use a tempad to actually scan their auras and get back to the TVA, but the tempad is suddenly missing. Loki assumes it's Casey, but then Casey tears apart before Loki's eyes. Loki then watches as one by one, all of his friends are torn apart in time. Yeah, this was straight up horrifying once again, because uh, I was like, where the hell are we going from here? Could have just ended just like that. Well, that would be really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for the MCU. Hey, there's your, there's your hard reboot. All right. <laughs> All of time has been erased. Yeah, I mean, that'd be fucked up if that's how we found out, like, Kevin Foggy quit or something like that. He's snuck in an episode <laughs> like this, right? Just the captain in the just... Marvel Universe won't return. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to go out, to screw over the whole franchise. <laughs> oh, you didn't watch Loki? You don't know how it ends. Yeah, like, the Disney execs never saw it coming. <laughs> With the world turning to strands around him, Loki panics and somehow controls his time slipping enough to go back to when Sylvie is torn apart. He then focuses on that feeling and is able to get back to when Sylvie entered the room. Loki tells Ob he's done it and that he has a way to rewrite their story before using his time slipping ability to go back before the temporal loom exploded as our episode comes to a close. Yeah, I mean, this was a really cool moment. Um, 
once again, I could argue maybe a little too convenient, but it is what it is. I get what they're going for. Like he, mm-hmm. he needed to be surrounded by his friends and loved ones to be able to tap into this newfound ability. I am a little disappointed because it, it does feel like we're going to get that like back to the future episode next for the finale with him basically undoing everything that we saw in mm-hmm. episode five. But I mean, in fairness, we kind of figured that was the direction they were headed in. Uh, Not to say that they probably don't have a couple surprises up their sleeves at the same time. So my question here, um, and this might be dumb, but is everything tearing apart due to the explosion that happened with the timelines? Or is it the failsafe, you know, initiation that we saw Miss Minutes put in place? That's a good question. I mean, they made a point to really harp on that in the beginning mm-hmm. of the episode and, you know, showing us that screen flashing over and over again, along with the announcement playing on the intercom. Um, So I'm going to guess that it is the failsafe. Like they have some kind of like worst case scenario way of dealing with all these branches, like a time bomb as a way to protect the sacred timeline. Um. But I I could be wrong. You know, I mean, maybe it is just the loom exploding and causing all these timelines to just crash into each other. Uh, I'm not sure. Hopefully they explain the next episode. Yeah, because I mean, this could all still be a part of He Who Remains' plan. If if it's that, and maybe this is how, you know, he comes about or how all of the Kangs come about in general through Victor Timely's death and the explosion. I mean, it would make sense that this is all his master plan since we know we have a film on the horizon called King Dynasty, right? Uh Uh, So this is the multiverse saga. So it does feel like He Who Remains is probably still pulling strings somehow. But anyway, join us next week as we break down the finale of Loki season two. And now for the nerds review of Gen V ahead. Mild spoiler ahead. And welcome to Godolkin University. You know when Golden Boy flames on his clothes burn off? It's like a big fire AC cucumber. Golden Boy, Jordan, Andre, they're going all the way. They could save thousands of people. I was coming up with your superhero name. You want to hear it? Well, the boys have kind of been the high bar as far as, you know, all superhero content over the last few years, giving us, you know, season after season that found a way to outdo itself every time. Gen V, as its, you know, first ever spinoff, had a lot to live up to considering how good the boys has been. And while the show isn't without flaws, I believe it fit perfectly into the boys universe and was overall a great addition for fans of this already incredible series. Gen V plops you into the lives of young soups like Marie Moreau, trying to find their place in a world that is ruled over by the idea of the Seven. The six students we follow all go to a college called Godolkin that has produced superheroes like Queen Maeve and The Deep along with A-Train. And while many go in with hopes of becoming, you know, a superhero icon, most end up learning just how to do nothing but, you know, to make commercials for a living. The shallow and often dark nature of Vought is felt strongly throughout this series and also gave us an ending um, that you would only get in a universe like the boys, but I won't spoil that for you guys. Um, What I will say is that through investigating their own school, the five of the top students there end up unraveling a conspiracy that leaves them with several moral dilemmas that often put soups against humans as we start to get what almost feels like an X-Men level clash of the ideas of where soups belong in this universe. The world building showed a greater divide than ever between soups and humans that will definitely play an interesting you know, role in the war between Butcher and Homelander as the boys continues. Like the boys though, all of the characters are incredibly flawed people. Not a single one of them can be looked at as 100% good. You know, the standouts for the season I felt were Chance uh, Perdomo, as Andre Anderson, who kind of has like Magneto powers, and then Lizzie Broadway, who plays uh, Emma Meyer, which is a bit of a twist on Ant-Man. While both characters are definitely more side characters, their storylines were the most interesting to watch, you know, unfold and probably the easiest to get invested with, I felt. Maria Moreau um, as a character is definitely, you know, your portal into like what's going on in this world. She definitely feels like she's playing the part of the audience for a good portion of it while she's also learning how to deal with her blood bending, but still a great performance there as well. Um, for those who have seen the show, I would say the only character's story that really uh, could have used more time, um, in my opinion, was Sam. 
uh, played by Asa German. Um, his role was very integral to the end of the show, but his motivations for it could have used more time. I feel maybe a like whole episode really could have been focusing on him outside dealing with the world at large. But that's probably the biggest complaint I would probably have for this entire series is I felt like everyone else got a decent amount of time. Action and power wise, I felt it was, you know, everything that you would expect from the boys. I wouldn't say that they outdid any of the insane things that have happened in that show, but they still had their own bit of fun, um, you know, bringing us dark moments with these characters powers. I definitely feel like they can step it up a little bit, but I also don't feel like the show needs to be doing anything to outdo the boys since that show already is ridiculous as it is. And I don't want this to become just a, you know, superhero gore fest every time we see an episode. I thought there was a good balance between you know the action and the story because I was just as invested in these characters as I am the main series by its end CGI and effects are on the same level as the boys so there's no downgrading there thank god there are also plenty of small cameos as well but nothing that really takes away from these series leads which could have been you know easily overshadowed by any of the cast of the boys you know constantly being around overall I believe Amazon has another hit on their hands here only kind of enriches their already successful universe and honestly i'm so happy that i'm able to say that because it could have ended up you know feeling like a knockoff or a lesser than show you can tell that the team were just as passionate on this project as they are with the main series as i imagine a show like this is super fun to write uh, really getting to cut loose with your superhero abilities at the same time it's another show that's serving a lot of characters um, and that can easily be mishandled if not done right only one character again i said felt like it didn't get enough time but everyone else you know got that solid amount of time and that's one of the things i can praise this show and the boys in general for the most it's what puts it above a lot of other series because of their mishandling of you know side characters so with that said i'll be giving gen v a b plus and with a cliffhanger ending like that I'm I'm so glad that we're going to get a season two, which has already been announced. And now for the nerds reaction to Invincible. Mild spoilers ahead. What if I become him and I don't even know it? I need to do more. I can save lives. Put me back out there. Invincible returned this week, same day as the Gen V finale. I love how all in Prime is on their adult superhero content, though. I was afraid with how much, you know, boys content there is, especially now with two shows that Invincible may get overshadowed on that service, but we will see what happens down the road. With this season opener, though, we are offered a you know look into the multiverse as it actually starts in an alternate timeline, kind of a what if. Mark actually joined his father and took over the planet as Omni-Man had originally intended. And of course, it's a bleak future for humanity. We actually learned that in most universes, Mark does make this choice to, you know, join Omni-Man. Kind of making our Invincible kind of the standout who went against his father. Though he's still flawed in his own way. Most of this episode focuses in on the trauma of losing Omni-Man. The general public is still unaware of what Omni-Man was actually sent here to do outside of those close to Mark. So many just believe he died, you know, heroically trying to save the Earth. Mark and his mother, though, grieve not for the loss of Omni-Man, but for the loss of their happy lives, learning the truth of what they were to a man like Omni-Man. Meanwhile, pacifist scientist using his abilities to access the multiverse is trying to connect his mind to a thousand versions of himself with the help of the Mahler twins in order to kind of bring the best knowledge of all cures and stuff like that in the, in the multiverse and save all lives. Of course, this is a superhero tale. Um, and that doesn't go exactly to plan. This episode sets up a new villain for the series while also doing a good job of bringing us back into the show as the characters attempt to move forward without Omni-Man. And in a way, it's kind of like their play on Death of Superman for this universe. What will you know they do without its strongest hero? And can Mark fill the void without also becoming his father as well? It's a slower start than I expected it would be, but it gets our pieces in the right spot as we're going to have to see if Invincible can get his groove back before or, you know the inevitable return of Omni-Man. I'm not sure if our new villain will be with us full season or just around for a couple episodes, but the introduction of the multiverse opens a lot of potential story options as this series moves forward. Hopefully it doesn't you know get too wonky though. I don't need everything to be a multiversal story right now, but I get why it is. But I'm still overall looking forward to the rest of this series, uh, especially with Gen V coming to a close and Loki almost done. 
So look out for our official review coming in about seven weeks as this is an eight episode series and let us know what you thought of the opener today on any of your favorite social media platforms at Amazing Nerd Show. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. I'm sure you've heard this enough times, but 2023 has been an absolutely incredible year in the games industry as far as, you know, releases go. So much player choice options and all that, you know, almost to an overwhelming state. Uh, and again, you would think profits would be soaring high for everyone right now. But again, we got more major layoffs this week as Bungie fired about 8% of their staff, around 100 folks here, due to Destiny 2's recent expansion underperforming, as they said. This surprisingly actually included the game's composer and several other higher positions that have left fans concerned for the game's next big DLC that has been planned for quite a while. While Bungie did acknowledge the layoffs, they simply just kind of put it to the numbers in a bit of a cold way. They kind of wish for the best type of statement. Bloomberg piled onto the news for these employees as it explained how they would you know, lose insurance coverage within a day of being fired and also losing their stock options that were promised being a part of Sony for a number of years. This adds to a long list of layoffs we've seen this year in the games industry, as no studio seems safe from this at this point. They say that the games industry is a gamble, uh, but again, I, I feel like it shouldn't be this much of a gamble. I feel like people should have a little bit of job security. It shouldn't feel so much like the you know WWE model of independent contractors working at game studios. Um, that's just, that doesn't make any sense to me. It feels like the top are making enough money to afford to hold on to these employees for a certain amount of time. I don't know if there will be, you know, unions that could possibly fix this or not, but we'll see what happens. Um, we do hope that the those who have lost their jobs are able to find somewhere else to work um, in the games industry. It is unfortunate to constantly be you know, reporting on this every few months, it seems. But in other news, um, rumors from PushSquare.com suggest that Star Wars Outlaws has been delayed to later in 2024 or potentially even early 2025. Game delays are quite often nowadays, um, and this feels like an ambitious title for Ubisoft. So I'm not surprised that there's, you know, sources are claiming a delay um, from its projected, you know, spring release. This is also based off of financial reports that don't necessarily name Star Wars Outlaws, but simply say a large title has been delayed for Ubisoft. And since this was their only big blockbuster suggested to come out during that original fiscal year, they put two and two together and pretty much assumed that Star Wars Outlaws was the one being pushed. But you never know, this could be some unannounced project that we were unaware of um, getting moved here, but you never know. Um, hopefully, if the game is delayed, it's simply to give it more time, you know, for the polish it probably deserves. This game could be a massive win for Ubisoft being, you know, the next major company to get their hands on this Star Wars license. People will always spend millions on Star Wars games, especially one that is offering such a fresh experience outside of being a Jedi for a change. Those early trailers really feel like Ubisoft is actually getting out of their comfort zone for this. So it's one that I'm actually excited to see more of when we learn more about it, but hopefully, Again, you know, they give the game as much time as it needs. As I always say, the Ubisoft experience can be a bit boring for me. So I'm hoping that they've done something enough here to give this a fresh feeling compared to a lot of their other titles. Lastly though, Konami in an earnings call confirmed that they are remaking Silent Hill 2, claiming that Bluebird developer team is close to completing it and will be powered by Unreal Engine 5, which damn, I can't even imagine what that game would look like with that much of an enhanced visual. Like they, I hope they have really actually overhauled the game to look the best that it can. It was something that we've seen similarly done with Resident Evil's remakes as of late. You know, the disturbing visuals are an incredible focus of this franchise. The game isn't all just jump scares and stuff like that. There's a lot going on visually with that title. And with the right look, Unreal Engine 5 could potentially make this game 10 times more horrifying than it originally was, or at least disturbing to look at but only time will tell. We'll hopefully get a trailer for that soon. In the meantime, I am a bit under the weather, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Um, I'm hoping that I feel good enough to at least get some streaming in this weekend. Um, if anything, I'll just be talking a little bit less in my streams. It is kind of hard to talk for three to six hours while being sick, but I do really want to get back into playing more Spider-Man, more Starfield, and more Seven Days to Die, which if you haven't caught any of our playthroughs yet, make sure to check out our VODs on Twitch. I was also informed recently by Darth Dad that, you know, Twitch has lifted its no multi-streaming rule. 
So perhaps in the upcoming year, I will start streaming to Twitch and YouTube and other platforms again, like I was in the beginning. But we will, you know, update you on if we're doing anything or setting up any, you know, setting up a new YouTube channel or anything like that in the near future. For now though, Twitch is still the best place to catch us um, if you want to catch us live. So make sure that you're following us over on Twitch.com at Amazing Nerd Show. All right, Christian. So unfortunately, this week we don't really have any time to talk wrestling. Um, but quickly, uh, Tony Khan is a complete menace and needs to be stopped. <laughs> uh, this past week, he had another important quote unquote announcement. Um, oh, yeah? and, and Jesus Christ, this was the most carny of them yet. Um, he announced a show that was already previously announced. I mean, it's a big show. It's all in right at Wembley stadium. Mm. Uh, but once again, we already had the date. We already had the stadium. So, um, yeah. So he announced that there's going to be ticket pre-sales in a month. Um, yeah, yeah. This went over like a fart in church. Um, I think, like, I wasn't too invested in this announcement. I wasn't, like, you know, super stoked and, you know, hopeful for anything major coming out of it. Um, but it just felt so insanely desperate. Mm -hmm. um, and it really made me believe that Tony's surrounded by a bunch of yes men. Because, like, he has to be more self-aware than this. Like, at this point. Like, like he just, he feels <laughs> like such a detriment to the brand. Especially since he's positioned himself as, like, the face of AEW with him doing, like, all the press. And I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess he doesn't do all the press, but he does the majority of the press and everything. Um, he, I just, like, I do feel like he's still a good booker and he's able to, you know, book some great storylines. We did see some nice hints of where some of these angles are going uh, with this episode, regardless of, you know, all the other issues. Um, I just I wish he would just step back, though, you know, from the spotlight um, and maybe find another mouthpiece um, and another sounding board, you know, where, you know, someone can step in and say, Tony, I don't think this is a good idea. Like, I know we're desperate for ratings right now, but let's go another route, because at this mm -hmm. point, you're losing the goodwill of your fans. Exactly. Um, and like I said, a minor ratings bump isn't worth that in the long run. Um, it's something that I would expect from, you know, the other company. Uh, it just feels desperate. And I don't know, someone needs to get in his ear and convince him, like, there's a better route to do this. Because, I mean, it, it is just a fucking giant meme right now. Like, he is a meme machine at this yes. point <laughs> um, well i'm seeing the memes more than i'm seeing the actual stories that people are like getting upset about lately i'm just like oh tony khan must have done something again because the internet is just flooded with you know tony khan yeah jokes. i mean between his like twitter activity and you know all these stupid announcements like someone mm -hmm. made a list of the announcements i mean at one point there was an announcement about our announcements which was a real thing. Like that's not just a, a meme. Like he really did do that. Um, and Hey, I mean, we know that the guy is stretched really thin. I mean, he wears multiple hats, not just in a W, but you know, in other sport leagues that, you know, his family owns. So, I mean, he, and supposedly he's surrounding himself with like a good infrastructure to like help him out with like the decision-making but I'm just worried it's the wrong kind of people. Like, it, it's a bunch of people who are just nodding and smiling at him um, and saying, good job, Tony, instead of people really challenging him. Mm -hmm. um, because this this was not a good look. And he's definitely taking some hits public perception-wise. Um, and it, it's just hurting the brand. You know, like, Tony Khan is his own worst enemy right now. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't think this is anything that's going to tank the company. But at the same time, I mean, it's cringe enough that it makes it a little embarrassing to be an AEW fan at times, especially in the face of such tribalism, you know? Um, I mean, I'm one to just let the wrestling do the talking, um, mm -hmm. you know, and focus on that. But it's hard not to, but it's becoming harder and harder not to log into Twitter and 
feel a little embarrassed. So, um, <laughs> well, the, like the big joke really like that I keep saying is, and I feel like it's true to a point, but, um, you know, like, Hey, Tony's just going to rely on the great wrestling. By the time the pay-per-view comes out, we'll all forgive and forget. But I feel like that's going to run out as well. Like we're, we're, as you said, like the goodwill is going to fade at a certain point. I will say though, like, I, I feel like the build has been much better for this pay-per-view. And I think it, that's partially due to the fact that we're getting more pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. Um, like we already have a bunch of matches announced already, uh, which has been kind of a problem, you know, the last couple of pay-per-views. And I feel like a lot of that had to do with just the calendar of, you know, you know, when they could book Wembley and when they have their, you know, traditional, like, you know, pay-per-view weekends. Um, and he seems to be someone who's just so like caught up in like tradition and everything like that, which I'm fine with, but I think it was the point of it, you know, doing more harm than good. Um, but now that we do have this bigger, you know, more vast pay-per-view schedule, I think we're going to see more storyline progressions and just booking that hopefully makes sense. Um, even though I had a lot of issues with this week's dynamite, but like I said, we don't have that much time. <laughs> MJF and Kenny were great though. I mean, that was a great mm-hmm. match, but the rest of uh collision, not so much, not so much. A lot of enhancement matches, Christian, a lot of enhancement matches where it's like, okay, I'm watching rampage, a two hour rampage, with like one really good match every week. Um, and I don't know how we got here because that that's not how this new like, you know, show started off like. So um, maybe we're stretched well, a little thin. Mm-hmm. I mean, like even starting it with those like with two Bullet Club matches back to back that were completely enhancement. I was just like, why are we starting the show like this? Yes. Yes. Like, why isn't there one at least one big match to start off the show? And like. <sighs> You know, I get it. Like, AR Fox is supposed to be a lower mid-card guy, but we've seen him so much. Like, you have this, like, huge roster. At least throw in another mid-carder against Jay White. You know, like, shake things up. Like, we're seeing the same challengers over and over again. Um, and he's just beating them into the ground where they mean nothing now every time they're on the screen. Like, I love Willow, but, like... All we do is see her lose week after week. How many fucking title shots has she gotten at this point? Like, it's comical, you know, and you have all these other women in the locker room just wanting, you know, some, you know, screen time and they're not getting it. I don't I don't get it. But anyway, like I said, we don't have that much time. (laughs) (laughs) I had to get that off my chest. Uh. I mean, join us next week and, you know. We'll do a full-on weekend review for AW, and you know maybe play some catch-up with this past week also. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, and while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to also, grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by theamazingnerdshow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Sure.